Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Hey everyone, this is Shady on Deck, bringing you a very special solo episode on entrepreneurial wellness and ways to bring balance and mindfulness into your day-to-day. So if you're self-employed, and even if you're not, this is an episode about work-life balance and how to better navigate and manage your personal life and your career, which is something I have always struggled to find a happy medium with. And not saying that I have everything figured out because I'm definitely still a work in progress, but there are so many self-imposed mental blocks and personal challenges that one faces when they do work for themselves that it made me want to share what I've learned so far. So a little more info on me. I am an e-commerce entrepreneur. I especially love product development and branding and just getting to learn about all the different parts of a business. I started my first company in 2013 called Shady's Closet, which is an online women's clothing boutique. In 2016, I founded Love by Luna, which is an astrology-inspired lifestyle brand. So we sell everything from crystals to oils to jewelry to nail polish. And then in 2018, I co-founded Moonbox, which is a wellness and beauty subscription box service aligned with the lunar cycle. So for the past couple of years, I've been primarily working in the wellness space and have learned a lot from going through many iterations and evolutions of my businesses and building them from the ground up. So this episode is on work-life balance for entrepreneurs, but it's also to let you know that everything that you're feeling as a business owner, any self-doubt, insecurity, fear, uncertainty about the future, these are completely normal and valid feelings. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at my sales or tasks that have piled up and have just been like, what have I done? This was a huge mistake. And basically having a mini existential crisis of why I thought I could do this and why did I even want to do this in the first place and what is the point of all this? But for all of those times of self-doubt, there have been so many moments on the other end of the spectrum where I've been immensely proud of what I've accomplished, grateful that I've gotten these amazing opportunities and have had many successes. It's been rewarding and fulfilling, but at the end of the day, I'm more than just my work. It doesn't define me. And even though it can be a huge part of my life, it isn't everything. And what's crazy is that I only came to this conclusion recently and have been working to find more points of balance in my life since. So in lieu of that, I have made a little list of some lessons that I find myself repeatedly coming back to, things that I constantly have to remind myself of when I feel like I'm slipping too far in work and neglecting what matters. So there are seven tips that I've come up with. They're not in any specific order. So let's just go ahead and dive into the first, which is tip number one, be selective about what work you choose to take on. This seems straightforward enough, but I think when you're starting out and trying to find your footing in whatever industry you're in, 
it's natural to say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. And I don't think that this is necessarily a bad thing in the beginning. To a certain extent, you do have to pay your dues, whether that's doing jobs primarily for the experience or exposure, if you really do need experience or exposure. I remember when I started my first company, Shady's Closet, I grinded super hard during the first few months and was styling a bunch of photo shoots for free. But after a certain point, I didn't need to do that anymore. I had gotten enough experience and developed my skills to where styling shoots for free wasn't properly valuing the resources that I was bringing to the table. It seems obvious that this would happen eventually. You know, you get enough projects or work under your belt to where you're confident that your skills are worth charging for or charging more for. But this point isn't as easy to discern or feel as it seems, especially when work isn't as consistent as it is with a nine to five job. If you're working freelance, for instance, you don't always know when the next project is going to happen. It's something that I've witnessed with many of my talented freelance friends across multiple fields, whether they're makeup artists, VFX artists, editors, etc. It seems like when the opportunities roll in, they tend to happen all at once. And when it's slow, they could go weeks or months without any work. And that's a really scary place to be. I think that we fear saying no to opportunities because turning down work feels like something that will hurt our business. We primarily perceive opportunities to be positive and letting one pass us by, regardless of how much it will actually benefit us, automatically makes us feel like we're missing out. We get into this, if I don't take this, then someone else will mentality, or If I don't do this project now, I may not get another one for a while, type of thinking, which causes us to operate out of fear. And when that happens, our decisions and our perception of our abilities become skewed. Saying yes to everything and taking on too much can land us in stressful situations that are simply not worth the headache. And even if we did want to do X, Y, and Z, the quality of our work can decline when we're overloaded. This last sentiment I know all too well. When I get a small idea for something, it somehow snowballs into a giant project that takes double the amount of time and effort to do. And even though I usually get new products or launches out on time, they're just not as well executed as I would have liked them to be. It always feels like a rush to the finish line, and it's like, yay, I came out with something new, but I probably should have scheduled an email blast the day of, or I probably should have built more anticipation the weeks beforehand on social media. The list goes on and on. But the main point is, choose quality over quantity. It's easy to get excited and want to do things big, but you have to be realistic about your time and energy. We have a finite amount of both, and you have to spend them wisely. When I'm planning out my general workflow for the upcoming year, I usually only pick two to three big goals that I want to accomplish, and those are what I focus on the most, because good things take time and a lot of hard work, and you want to give yourself the space to actually do it. You can still write down all the other smaller goals you want to achieve, 
but picking out two to three big ones and sticking to them has helped me stay my course in creating the vision of the future that I want. There will certainly be opportunities that will tempt you to take on more. And hey, if a perfect one lands in your lap, take it, of course. But with others, there's no need to rush. Do your due diligence. Make sure that any deadlines are reasonable and know that it's completely in your power to ask for what you think is fair. I think that when we get approached by big companies or a person to work on something, we feel like we have to agree to whatever they want in order to get the job. But you really have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is you having no life for a couple weeks or months, working 15-hour days and on weekends to make a deadline truly worth it? If you're like me, in the beginning you may say, hell yeah it is, only to find out the hard way that it's not when you're a month or two in with no semblance of balance in sight. So, moral of the story Choose what you do wisely and sparingly, but do those things extremely well. You'll be happy that you did. Tip number two, schedule regular breaks. This includes both short-term breaks during your daily routine, as well as long-term ones like vacations. Taking breaks is an issue that I struggled with for a very long time. Up until a few months ago, I was pretty much a workaholic. I actually prided myself upon how much I was willing to sacrifice for my career. I somehow felt that spending all my time working while others were relaxing showed how dedicated I was, that I wanted it more. I've always considered myself a work smarter, not harder person, but somewhere along the way, I completely lost sight of that. One reason that I believe that business owners have difficulty taking breaks is due to how our society values productivity. We feel like if we're working on something, we're getting ahead. But when we continue to work just to work, we aren't being mindful of how we're using our energy. This can result in a loss of direction as well as exhaustion and eventual burnout. I've experienced all of these things firsthand because I had this burning desire to get ahead. The past two years, I worked as hard as I could for as long as I could every day. I would wake up, immediately begin working, and not stop until 2 to 3 a.m. In a way, I think I sickly liked it. I do enjoy pushing myself to my physical and mental limits, but in reality, I was just working stupidly hard, not smart. For example, there would be rare weeknights where I had finished all of my work for the day at a reasonable hour, which for me would be around 10 or 11 p.m. And even though I had the opportunity to just relax, put on some Netflix and just veg out, I wouldn't. I would sit on my couch and continue to do work from my phone, even if it was just making stories for Instagram or pinning random stuff on Pinterest. At that point, I was like, Okay, this is really bad. Even if we want to stop, we can't. It was like my brain was just wired into work mode and I had no idea how to come down from that. How I eventually came down from that was totally burning myself out and getting physically sick and saddled with health issues from working so much. And I'm embarrassed that that's what it had to take for me to consider how I was treating my body more seriously. I mean, in the end, it was a good thing, a definite wake-up call, but
but I don't want anyone else to have to learn that way. I'm telling you now, you don't have to rake yourself over hot coals to prove how much you care about your business. I think we can get subconsciously sucked into these work wormholes that keep getting bigger and bigger to the point where working 15-hour days every day feels normal or feels like what you need to do and that just isn't true. What helped me the most in terms of prioritizing and practicing breaks was shifting my mindset to viewing breaks as an essential part of work. If you keep thinking of breaks as expendable, then that's what they're going to be. When we place breaks at the bottom of the totem pole, it's not surprising that they get compromised the most. Taking breaks when there seems like there's an insurmountable, never-ending amount of urgent task ahead can feel unjustified or indulgent when that couldn't be further from the truth. Everything that we may want to accomplish in a day may feel urgent to us, but in reality, it's not going to be the end of the world if we don't finish them immediately. Life is a marathon, not a sprint, and showing up to the best of our ability every day means caring for ourselves to the best of our ability too. I've told myself and my business-owning friends this repeatedly, but sometimes the absolute best thing that you can do for your business is to take a break. If you're burning the candle at both ends and working at a pace that isn't sustainable, it's going to end up hurting you in the long run. The quality of our work tends to decline after a certain point, so pressing on to knock out a couple more tasks that could easily be done later, and probably more efficiently if you're well-rested, is doing more harm than good. You may feel a sense of satisfaction at the time, but trust me, you're going to end up feeling like shit later. And for some people, later could mean the next day, or it could mean months from then, but inevitably, it does catch up with you. Some tips for taking breaks. Don't be stingy with your me time. I know in the beginning when I was taking breaks, I'd limit myself to 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there, but why? At first, the thought of a one hour break sounded way too long, but is it really? I feel like we make it seem like there is no way we can take an hour out of the day for ourselves, which is nuts, considering that we're fine with spending 8 or 10 or 15 running ourselves into the ground with work. Not saying that you have to take an hour right away, you can build up to that if it's something that makes you more comfortable, but I do recommend blocking off an hour each day for some quality self-care and relaxation, preferably without any tech. So put your phone away, put your computer away, Take a long Epsom salt bath or crack open that book you've had forever and just enjoy yourself. You work hard. You deserve to enjoy the life around you that you've built. Stop making space for everyone and everything else but yourself. Understand that breaks are restorative. And when you're rested and happy, that energy and positivity is going to be ultimately reflected back in your work. Trust me, once you start taking more breaks, you're going to look back on how you tackled your work days and be like, what was I doing? And last but not least, I know I mentioned planning vacations in advance, and I know we just got through taking the one hour break and now you're like, I'm supposed to plan a whole damn vacation now? And the answer is yes. 
giving yourself something to look forward to and work towards can be a great motivator. But vacations are also opportunities for your brain to do some deep rewiring, allowing you to fully get out of work mode and begin thinking in different ways. I feel like allowing new experiences to come into our lives is an essential part of how we grow. And that's not going to happen if you're just holed up in your place, piling on more work 24-7. When we start to prioritize time for ourselves, the rest usually falls into place. It's surprising how much easier and pleasurable life can be when we stop resisting and allow ourselves to finally breathe. Tip number three, be gentle with yourself during recalibration periods. So this is probably the newest tip of the bunch that I've recently learned and am still trying to currently practice. What I mean by a recalibration period is essentially a period of time after you've completed a very intense project, like Thanos level. If you don't watch any Marvel movies, please ignore me. But if you have, it's like you just got all the Infinity Stones and snapped your fingers and now you're just trying to go live off of the grid and not do shit for a while. If you still don't know what I'm talking about, I basically mean you've just completed a project that has taken everything that you had. It showed you your absolute hard limit and you're still reeling from it. So a deep, deep burnout or a sense of exhaustion. And I wanted to go over this because aftercare during these periods of coming back to center and reality are extremely important. The Thanos level project for me this year was writing a book in a very short amount of time. It was harder than I thought it would be, which for me, most things are, but it completely drained me on a soul level. Simply put, it fucked me up. At the end of the book, I remember I was writing and I was just like, is this how you write a normal sentence? Hmm, I'm not so sure. Let me rearrange these words a thousand times. But in the end, I finished and it was an amazing learning experience. And I took a few weeks off to recover. And after a month, I was like, okay, we should be rested enough. Time to get back into work now. And when I would go sit down at my desk and open my computer, I just didn't want to do anything. Even after a couple of weeks, it was a slower time of the year, so there were only a few things to do. But even if it was answering one or two emails, I was putting it off until the very last minute, like the most epic procrastination that I've ever done. It was at the point where I would just binge watch TV for eight hours straight and then answer one email before bed at 2 a.m. And I was like, well, that's not good. We don't like who this person is. Like, can we seriously not even work for 10 minutes straight? It felt so horrible seeing myself act this way. I was frustrated, confused, and was like, why can't I get my act together? I've had enough time. Where is that spark of motivation I used to have? Why do I not want to do anything? And I thought about it some more. And I was like, I need to listen to my body. It's not cooperating for a reason probably because it's not time to jump into work mode again, and that's okay. 
The healing process for an intense project can take much longer than you think, and allowing yourself guilt-free rest afterwards is necessary. My close friend was pushed to his limit when he was completing his PhD and writing his thesis. And after I finished writing my book, I met up with him and was like, hey, after you got your PhD, how long did it take you to want to work again? Because it's been a few months for me now, and I'm still not that motivated. And his answer surprised me. He said it took him a full year to recover. A full year. I felt so relieved when I heard this, and I wanted to share this because the healing process can take a long time. If you've been working so hard for so long at max capacity without any breaks, it makes sense that your mind and body need time to recalibrate. If you've tipped the scale so far in one direction, they're going to need some time at the opposite end before slowly coming back to center. So if you've been feeling uninspired, or lazy after a big project, don't beat yourself up. Don't doubt your capabilities. Just know that motivation will return once you're ready. Tip number four, pay attention to your natural energy cycles. When it comes to working smarter, not harder, it's all about being efficient with your time and energy and recognizing when you do your best work. Before, I used to think that working X amount of hours is what I needed to do each day, and the more the better. However, many writers and scientists have come to the conclusion that a four to five hour long workday is the maximum amount of time for true creative productivity. Anything more than that and the quality of work declines. For instance, Charles Darwin's work schedule only lasted three 90-minute periods, and with that schedule, he was able to write 19 books. Similarly, in the book, Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less, author Dr. Peng made mention to a study that Illinois Institute of Technology psychology professors conducted of their colleagues' work habits and schedules. They graphed the number of hours faculty spent in the office against the number of articles they produced. Most would think that the result would be a straight line, showing that the more hours a scientist worked, the more articles they published. However, that wasn't the case. The data actually revealed an M-shaped curve, which, in short, proved that scientists who spent 25 hours in the workplace were no more productive than those who spent five. In fact, scientists who worked 35 hours a week were half as productive as their 20-hour-a-week colleagues. So what does that tell us? That creative work or work that needs a high level of mental focus can't be forced. After a certain period, our creative well is empty and needs time to replenish itself. This relates back to taking breaks, prioritizing self-care time. It really all does come down to the power of rest. But if four or five hours is really all we have for peak productivity, we want to make that count. So pay attention to your body's natural rhythms. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Do you work best first thing in the morning or late at night when everyone else is asleep? Likewise, Is your mind more clear on an empty stomach or after you've had a meal? If you're like me, 
I get so sleepy after every meal that I eat. I just feel like I get lost in a mental fog and my thoughts are cloudy and it completely disrupts my work schedule. So if I do have important work that I need to get done earlier in the day, I might just have some coffee or tea and fruit when I wake up instead of a full heavy breakfast. Making small adjustments like these to work with your body's natural energy cycles instead of against them can make all the difference in terms of your daily workflow and set you up for success. If you work for yourself or from home, then you probably have the luxury of setting your own schedule, which is especially helpful if you're like me and are a night owl, and I feel like many creatives are. Not saying that early birds aren't creative. In fact, I envy them so much because I'm a total bitch until noon. I just can't function properly until then. I feel like I'm a complete zombie in the morning, and then slowly over the course of the day, I gain more and more energy. So my work schedule varies day to day, but in the past, it's typically gone something like this. I wake up at 10 or 11 a.m., leisurely get ready for the day. So exercise, long shower, meditation, cook some food, clean up, chill for a while, and then slowly get to work around 5 to 7 p.m. Then by 9 p.m., I really get going. And then midnight to 5 a.m., my brain is like, woohoo, we're awake, which makes it really difficult to feel balanced. Even though I'm working the same amount of hours, if not more than someone with a 9 to 5, waking up so late in the day doesn't make me feel great. And if I have any early meetings to be at, the struggle is real. And if I have a call with someone on the East Coast because I'm on Pacific time, I need to be awake much, much earlier. So the point of all this is, how can you take advantage of peak productivity if you're a night owl and not have it throw the rest of your day off? This has been challenging for me to figure out because part of me is like, well, if we are just more disciplined and get used to waking up early, then we'll be able to work during the day. And the other part of me feels like I shouldn't resist working when I want to work late at night. And like most things, I think the answer is a little column A, a little column B. If you have control over your schedule and are a night owl, you can still start your work later in the day, but within reasonable bounds. As much as I'd love to stay up working from 3 to 5 a.m., I just can't. But that means that I may save my hardest or most mentally engaging task until 11 p.m. and try to knock it out in the last hour or two that I work. I found that when I try to do these tasks earlier in the day, it takes me considerably longer to do. So I tend to do more errands and spend time on hobbies during the day and tackle my important work at night. And obviously, what works for me certainly won't work for everyone, but I think that trying to keep to your peak productivity hours as much as possible will help your work go a lot faster and easier so that you can spend time doing the rest of the things that you love. Tip number five, play to your strengths. If you're building a business from the ground up or managing one, there's a tendency to wear many hats and fill multiple roles. If you are running a company or creating a brand, I think that it's important to understand how the different branches of your business work, 
on at least a fundamental level. When I started my companies, I had to learn about product development, building a website, shipping and logistics, social media, graphic design, the list goes on and on. And although I have decent experience with each of these areas, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert on graphic design or the best at web development by any means. However, knowing enough to be able to communicate what I need when I'm trying to hire a graphic designer or web developer for more complicated jobs is extremely useful. You don't have to master every position in your business, but having a good understanding of how these different divisions coalesce and affect one another is important. So recognizing your strengths and playing to them is advice that I've heard from many of my mentors. As much as you may want to do everything yourself, it's just not realistic. I feel like one of the reasons why I wanted to start my own company was because I like working alone. I'm an only child, I am very introverted, and having an online store appealed to me because there isn't too much human interaction that goes along with that, or so I thought. As my second company, Love by Luna, grew over the years, I was able to hire more people to help, and then I got into my third company, Moonbox, which I have two partners for. So as things scaled, I was actually working with people quite frequently, and now I love it. There is so much to do that I can't do it all myself, and I don't want to do it all myself. Building a quality team of people who can add to your vision and help your company grow is so crucial, and I feel like in order to do that, you have to have a good sense of what you do the best task that no one else can do, and then conversely, what you need help covering. Being able to assess yourself honestly and accurately can be hard. You may feel a little jammed to the ego if you can't figure something out or a part of the business that isn't your forte is faltering, but you're only human and it doesn't make sense to spend time on tasks that you might not be great at and don't even like doing if someone else out there can do it better. And even if you're able to handle a bunch of different tasks, you have to ask yourself, which ones are the ones that you truly enjoy doing? And which ones are you doing because you feel like you have to? Ultimately, focusing on a specific role for yourself that you love and then delegating the rest is much more fulfilling and less stressful than spreading yourself too thin. Tip number six, prepare for what you can, then take the plunge. You've probably heard the saying, preparation is key, and it is, but like anything else, it's possible to overdo it. As I've worked on my companies for longer, I've found bouts of analysis paralysis to be a more commonly occurring theme in my life. Analysis paralysis refers to a situation in which a person is unable to move forward with a decision as a result of overanalyzing information or overthinking a problem. And this is interesting to me because you'd think that the more experience a person has with their business, the easier it should be to make decisions but that's not always the case. When you're starting out, you don't know how everything fits together, 
There's a lot of experimentation and trial and error, and it's fun, it's exciting, and you aren't as scared of making mistakes because you're learning as you go. But once you get more established and become aware of more ways to approach a problem or methods you can implement, it becomes clear that some ways are better than others. Some will save you time and money, and others can cause heavy setbacks. And naturally, you want to do your best to avoid the big ones. I think it's good to be diligent and prepared, but if you become so fixated on getting things right to the point where it immobilizes you and your ability to make decisions, it can become a major detriment. One of my friends told me this metaphor. I'm not sure if I remember it 100%, but I'm going to go for it anyway, so bear with me. I believe he said, when you're trying to solve a problem, there are two types of people or approaches. So imagine you're on a plane, you have a parachute, and you have to jump out and land on a target. The first type of person takes a lot of time to prepare. They're reading the instruction manual thoroughly, trying to understand which part is which, and what's the optimal time to deploy the parachute. All things that you definitely want to know, but they may take too much time in trying to figure everything out that they end up missing the target or never jumping out of the plane if they don't feel like they're ready yet. On the other hand, the second person just puts the backpack on and jumps out of the plane. Obviously, this is reckless and dangerous, but they might get to where they're going faster and might not look perfect or feel comfortable but they're going farther and experiencing more than they would have if they didn't jump out of the plane at all. Now, I didn't say this was a flawless metaphor, but I think it does a decent job of illustrating that preparation is good, but at a certain point, you just have to take the plunge. Prepare as much as you can, but don't be afraid to take a leap of faith and take a risk. If you encounter some analysis paralysis, I find that setting deadlines for important decisions is helpful. So in your calendar, you can mark a day that you will decide to go one way or the other. I feel like writing this down and picking a day makes it feel more serious and concrete rather than this nebulous decision hanging over your head that you can just keep pushing back for all types of reasons. Just pick a day and stick to it. There is no right or wrong answer. What matters is that you're moving forward. And who knows what your situation will morph into after that point. But having it shake things loose and letting things flow is much better than sitting still and treading water. Commit to taking actions on the days that you've designated and finally move forward instead of letting the pressure and stress accumulate. So tip number seven last but not least, is to develop a strong support system. In working for yourself, especially if you work from home, it's easy to feel isolated or disconnected from others. My other self-employed friends who work from home and I have shared this sentiment, a lack of collective belonging or workplace camaraderie or just a sense of having colleagues because we are working in our own individual worlds and don't get too much interaction from the outside. I know that if I had to go into an office every day, that that structure would make me feel more grounded and consistent, 
But since I don't have that by choice, it's my responsibility to bolster and maintain my own support system. Working for yourself is hard, and a lot of your friends may not understand the challenges that come with what you do. So I think it's important to connect with others who also work for themselves. All of my friends who work for themselves do not work in the same field that I work in. They sell vastly different things than I do, but they still encounter a lot of similar problems and headaches that I come across. They can commiserate with me about preparing taxes and managing inventory and having your goods clear customs, just subjects that most people would have no interest in discussing. But for me, these conversations are very much needed and are extremely therapeutic. I've called some of these people when I just need to vent and we've talked for hours and these people have become safe spaces where I can break down when needed, who I know can relate and would never judge me. So as hard as it is to let people in and ask for help, you need that support at the end of the day, especially if you're on this entrepreneurial journey. It's a long journey full of obstacles and surprises, but for all of its twists and turns, I wouldn't trade it for the world, and I hope you don't either. So those are my main tips for improving work-life balance. There are many more that I wish I could fit into this episode, but the ones that I've noted have been the ones that have taken me the longest to learn and have had the biggest positive impact on my life. So if this type of content is something that you'd like to hear more of, please let me know. You can message the podcast on Instagram or me at Shady on Deck. Hey there, Tosca here. So I wanted to take a quick moment to share with you all about how you can support the Sex Magic Podcast. If you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. Pretty much everything is under Sex Magic Podcast. You can also find us at sexmagicpodcast.com and we have all of our links there. But most importantly, we recently launched our Patreon and it's really important to support us because our collective of co-hosts offers a diverse perspective on sex and magic. Though we each come from various backgrounds and cultures, our unifying passion is to empower and explore sexuality, spirit, and the occult in a safe and approachable environment. Each week, we offer a new episode on a fresh subject in the realm of spirituality and sexuality. We interview a variety of guests, from authors to psychologists to witches and beyond. We strive to share content that is educational, inspirational, and mystical. So join us on our journey through sex magic by supporting the work we do. Every dollar goes towards propelling us forward and will allow us to continue creating podcasts. By supporting our podcast, you'll join our community and be part of the conversation. Our Patreon patrons will gain access to various resources, rituals, recipes, and behind the scenes access. With more funding for our Sex Magic podcast, Coven can dedicate more time to crafting sacred offerings to our supporters, sex magic courses, videos, spell books, and we really would love for you to be part of our sexy little coven. So I also wanted to take a moment to shout out a few of the patrons we have so far. Shout out to Melina Beatrice and to 
Meredith Andrews. Thank you so, so much. And also a shout out to my boyfriend and to my mom. Thanks y'all for supporting. means a lot. (laughs) So follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our website, and support us on Patreon. We love you and we want to continue offering these amazing podcast episodes and we're so grateful to do that and have your support.